0: You're listening to the Black Belt Voices Podcast, propagating the richness of Black Southern culture by telling stories from and about Black folks down South.
1: No justice, no peace! No justice, no peace! No justice, no peace!
0: For the past 16 days, protesters in every state and around the world are demanding change and speaking out against systemic racism and police brutality that disproportionately affects black Americans.
2: As the protests have become mainstream, many major businesses and institutions have issued their own statements of proclamations acknowledging the need for change and affirming that Black lives do matter. I'm Kara Wilkins. And I'm Medina
0: White. Um, we've had some protests here in Central Arkansas that we all attended. There was like, you know, the organic grassroots ones that started, and then there were some more formal programs that happened, you know, later on. So Kara, how was your experience out there?
2: Well, I went to the one of the more formal protests that happened um, a few days after uh, the George Floyd uh, murder. And so by that time here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our podcast is located, um, I think that there some more structure had been put to some of the protests. You know, we had daytime protests and nighttime protests, which the daytime protests looked a lot different than I think what the nighttime protests did. Um, the one in particular that I went to was at Little Rock Central High School. Um and it was organized by a group of community leaders called the Little Rock Thousand. Uh, I am a graduate of uh, Little Rock Central. And that was one of the reasons that motivated me to go. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Little Rock Central was um, one of the, f- not the first, but one of the first uh, major high school major integrations in the South and um, And the Little Rock Nine are very important to not only Arkansas history, but overall Black history. Um, And so that's nine students that were selected to integrate this all-white high school and had the National Guard and the governor and um, many, 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 many white people who did not want them to integrate and they risk their selves their lives their families lives um you know in the in the pursuit of equity and freedom and so i as a graduate of central i don't think you can go there and not have not walk away from that school feeling like you have some sort of social justice in you especially as a black student it's just you can feel it when you're in the school you can feel it when you're in class it's like somebody You know, people went through a lot for me to sit here and it's just Mm -hmm. ingrained in you. And so uh, Ryan Matthews, who is also a central alumnus, he is the guy who coordinated the central event and um, says that this the event was in hopes of continuing the work that began with the Little Rock Nine. Again, who integrated Central High in 57.
0: And I, um, I want to go back to that protest in a second, because I was able to go to that one and to one in Conway, Arkansas, that was organized by, by our um, city government. In Conway's, you know, of course, there were this, the protests. I think our protests started um, Sunday of last week, which was um, May 31st or so. So it was a little bit after, it was when the protests started getting steam, you know, we had one in Conway, which this is the first time that the Black Lives Matter protests have come to the city I live in, the city of about 70,000 in the Little Rock metro area. So that's pretty cool to see it there. So I was able to go to one of the grassroots protests on the first day. And then I went back to the citywide march and it was, you know, they had several speakers. Of course, the mayor was on stage. um, The president of the university of central Arkansas, uh, Houston Davis, which is, you know, a a division one university, which with about 11,000 students, he spoke. And he gave a very passionate speech about how, you know, growing up to surround racism and how, like, overt racism, really, in his extended family and you know, and by some people in his church. But he was saying, thankfully, his mother and his Sunday school teacher helped kind of steer him in the right direction. So he talked about like those real, tangible examples of like how prevalent racism is in this country. And he's not an old man. I mean, I think he's—he said he was born in '78 or something like that. So he's—he's he's not an old man. He remembers that stuff, and it shapes so much of our culture, even. If so many refuse to see it, so I think Conway's March was more about, and even when I saw the social media posts afterward, I saw it was basically a march against racism, which is imbi- which is very important. But one thing that was missing, besides not having any not having any women on stage, and I know one woman who's going to be there. Um, she's a diversity <laughs> coordinator for the city. She had a, a death in the family, so she couldn't make it. There were no women there on stage, mm-hmm. and there was really no talk of police reform. Mm-hmm. or or anything that I noticed. Like there there, there weren't any, any actionable steps, but it was a big deal for our city to do that. So I'm proud of that. But I noticed at Central High, there was a lot more um, tangible things mentioned that involved policing and voting. There were, bo- there were voter registration forms being passed around. We've got, I mean, there were probably three or four young people who stopped me alone asking that I sign a petition to mm-hmm. uh, stop gerrymandering. So they were really out there, um, you know, with the political power and stuff behind it, because when people say, I hope all these people vote after that. Well, they were organizing out there. So that was definitely present.
2: Agreed. So,
0: um, yes, we talked to two of the protesters at the Little Rock 9000 rally at Central High. Um, Asia Smith from Cersei and Joshua Dunlap from Little Rock. Here's Asia
2: we all need to be equal everybody deserves the same just basic human rights we don't even have our human rights yeah that's what really motivated motivated me to be out here um definitely against police brutality against anybody black white green it doesn't matter you know it's all wrong like teach these officers how to like you know do a correct hold like not to firstly pull your gun out first you know
0: um other things I would like to see in the community, just uh, just loving one another, treating everybody the same. I was talking to somebody um, earlier today, and you know, back in the '60s and '70s, and when they were, um, they had to have something to ignite them, um, to ignite that fire and ignite the protests back then. And this is why this is our ignition. Um, so I'm just glad to be a part of the ignition and. Um, you know, just ready to see what put forth uh, from all our hard work and all the work that we have to do in the future, because this is not the, the last thing we have to do. So what are some of the things that the protesters are asking for?
2: That is a good question, Adina. And I think people have been asking that um, for a few weeks folks wanted to know where the protests were going to lead and what were some of the um, requests or demands that some of the protesters wanted to have happen. So it varies. Some of the changes people are calling for include a residency requirement um, so that police work in their own communities and more widespread body camera usage. Here in Little Rock, our mayor um, and city council just passed uh, a resolution to get more body cameras um, just two days ago, and that was partially in response to some of the protests that had been happening. One of the speakers at the Little Rock Nine event, uh, Lee Miller, who is a criminal defense and family law attorney, he encouraged people to fight for change in the way that police officers are prosecuted. And mostly what we've been talking about, not only here in Little Rock, but on the national stage, is people calling for defunding the
0: police. I've seen a lot of that too. And I admit, when I first saw Abolish the Police and Defund the Police, I was like, that can't happen. But, you know, it's kind of intriguing. So, Kara, kind of break down what that means. Well,
2: it means different things to different people. And I think you're right, Adina, that a lot of people, the word defund is very jarring and they think that it means, to your point, abolish the police, which is a whole nother movement. Uh, But defunding really is a misnomer. It's calling for the reallocation of funds that are typically funneled to the police departments, and moving some of that money more towards investing dollars in communities, schools, hospitals, social workers. So for example, if there's a homeless person who has the police called on him or her, and it's really a mental health issue or a drug overdose issue, Instead of sending that to a traditional police officer to respond, that would be rerouted to a community worker or someone with a licensed social work degree or someone who is a therapist who is trained in mental health who would actually go out and support that person um, who needs assistance. That's really the idea is that we don't rely on our police officers to do work that really could be done by other community leaders and other trained professionals.
0: Right. Because if a police officer goes into a situation armed and and they're trained to, they're trained for the worst possible outcome. So, so it doesn't end well a lot of times. So I think it's something to consider for sure. Um, It it looks different for, for every city, but um, I think there's a lot out there about it now on there's podcasts. I don't have any in front of me, but and there's a popular book called "The End of Policing," and I think there's a lot of people are reading that now. So, so I think it's something that makes sense once you dive into it. It's not just like all police will be gone tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> it's it'll, it'll be a step by step approach. Exactly. Thing, but, and something else I've seen, you know, people saying, "So what? What are the protests accomplishing? Like, what's what's this doing?" I guess number one, they Kind of forgot how this country was founded. <laughs> but number two, there's already been so much change in the last two weeks. Um, well, a big one from June 7th is that um, the Minneapolis City Council, the city where George Floyd was murdered by police, pledged that they would dismantle his police force. And um, just today, NASCAR, I mean, which is, is, is symbolic, but it's a huge deal. They announced that they will be banning com- all Confederate flags. Um, you know, at their tracks and everything. And there's been other changes across the South with um, Confederate monuments coming down. You know, every time there's one of these reckonings that racism is alive and well, that's kind of the first thing that a lot of cities do is take down those monuments that have been causing so much, you know, strife for years. So we see more of those coming down. And there's there's just other things, other shifts that have happened, like, you know, the U.S. Congress. Uh, Democrats passed a police reform bill. So... These aren't for nothing. I mean, we're already seeing some substantial changes, and I think it's just getting started.
2: Agreed. And that doesn't include the tangible shift in thinking with many institutions and big companies acknowledging systemic racism and vowing to make change. I've seen some companies that I never thought would go into the or make a public statement about race, um, and whether it's by force or whether they really mean it, Time will tell. I mean, we'll have to watch these companies and watch their actions to see if they actually follow through with some of their plans for diversity initiatives or money that they say that they're going to put back into Black communities and other things. So I'm interested to see how we see our entire culture really shift, because that's what's happening.
0: And even Twitter, who's been under fire for years for allowing you know, white nationalists to just flow freely on the platform. Um, They announced that both Twitter and Square are making Juneteenth a company holiday in the U.S. forever. And, you know, that's a huge deal because we don't celebrate Juneteenth as a country. So again, that's something symbolic, but it's something that's here to stay. So hopefully we'll see other companies follow suit. And I saw somewhere else on Twitter that by acknowledging Juneteenth, you're acknowledging that slavery existed. And we all know that it did, but we kind of just, Mm-hmm. You know, swept under the rug in a lot of ways. So that's a, that's a good move. And maybe other companies will start doing the same.
2: So this is all very positive news. And I think it shows that people in power are listening, which is good. But we still have to make our voices heard, especially in November.
0: When we come back, we'll talk to State Senator Joyce Elliott. We caught up with her at the Conway
1: March. I'm a black man, but please don't shoot.
0: As
2: Adina mentioned, Arkansas State Senator Joyce Elliott was at the Conway protest. She is running in Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District against Congressman French Hill, who is the Republican incumbent. Anyone who, is fam- who has lived here in Arkansas is familiar with Congressman Hill and some of his policies and um, Senator Elliott really wants to get into office to make a change, to help make Arkansas have more progressive views and values and to support, um, you know, families and individuals who um, may not have a lot of money or may not be people who are traditionally supported here in Arkansas. We're grateful she made time to talk to us briefly about her plan that could help with police brutality and how we can move forward as communities and as a nation. The protest, she says, is an event that is launching a movement we should sustain.
1: I think it's just uh, lit uh, a fire that will not be extinguished until we answer the call of justice. And other things that I think are very important is number one, starting with understanding Um, that racism is a systemic matter. And here we are in year 401, uh, very carefully, um, and as I sometimes say assiduously, upholding the structures that ensure that we consider to live in a racist system in our country. And we cannot, or I think it would be a really big mistake to start picking and choosing which of the ills we are going to start with before we understand how we got here and before we understand Um, what it means that we have had 14 years of this system, how would happen, how do we dismantle it? Because we can't dismantle these systems, we need new systems, we can't dismantle them without understanding the background of where they are. So I do think it's very important to do that work first. And this will be the most uncomfortable work of knowing the history, because I am a big believer that once you know, once you have information, the chances are when you have to respond to what we saw uh, you respond differently but if we respond without doing that we will be doing something i called i call a deficit response um just uh, like so many times i you know people will say we're going to do something about education we're going to do something about health care that's all well and good but the system means those things are all intertwined. And if we don't decide to have a plan for all of those issues, that is, that is something that I think we'll regret. But it is important to point out, though, and I feel that I can do things. There are some things we can do immediately. Like, for example, if we had in place better community policing, we can do that now. If we had in place better community policing, odds are that would have been a different response to uh, everybody who has suffered at the hands of the police. If we had better community relationships as opposed to um, a natural policing institutionalized thought, because when you think about it, uh, police officers really should be safety officers. We should never even have to think about them as policing bodies that 's what we do, and the people uh, that get overpoliced are the black bodies and so these are things I think we can we can attack right now, but i don 't want to pretend that just because we pass laws and there are a lot of laws and uh, principles and practices we can pass, and we should. But we need to be careful to think that solves the problem. The only reason we're even addressing the problem is because the people rose up and we will not just by passing laws and principles and new practices we need to do that we will not solve the issue as i said unless we look at what's systemic and unless people remain involved just as they went to the streets and made everybody pay attention it's going to be it's going to take involvement when it's inconvenient to be involved And we can't just assume that we can do this, well, I feel good about it today and I don't feel good about it tomorrow. Because history is stubborn. Um, When you've had 401 years of doing things the way you want to, or the way that advantages some and not others, that would be a stubborn thing to change. And that's why I really want everybody to think about this as an event because that's what it is. It's an event that's launching a movement that we should sustain by making sure we're educated, making sure we have plans of bringing the movement, bringing the movement inside from the streets because inside is where we get so much of the change. Um, we, we, I might see you on the street and just get to know your name and no, I'm gonna meet up with her, that, that woman over there in the blue dress or whatever, but that's all I know so the work is going to be after the fact I need to get back with you I need to build a relationship because in, like in our communities if police officers for example more of them lived in our communities built relationships with people in our communities you would not have this kind of response because it could be oh you know there is um, you know I think George is doing something he shouldn't be doing if you if you care enough, if you take the time to know who his, that he has a little girl, for instance, you know that little girl because she walks by you and goes, hey, you know, to a police officer. That response would have been different. But it is particularly problematic when you say, when your, when your job in the city is at the end of a commute. You don't live there, you just commute there and then you leave. So these are things we need to be sure we take a good look at and think about, you know, what do we do um, to address the full spectrum of all of these ills and not just say we're going to fix it by talking with police, changing police. We need to all take some responsibility going forward and decide who do we want to be and what kind of country do we want to have and start doing that work, because it's a long way ahead of us. But I am so encouraged, and I'm so pleased with all the young people who have bothered to show up. I am, the thing that I am most encouraged about is the the diversity of the people who are standing up and saying, no more. And, you know, I, I see it across all age spectrums, and, you know, race and ethnicity, and it's just been, almost a miraculous thing that was so that was so organic nobody planned it nobody said you had to have to have this many of this and this many of that that's how we've got to operate and and allies people who are allies need to understand what it means to be an ally those of us who are who happen to be black are going to have to figure out ways to understand even somebody who's my best ally is going to mess up sometimes say the wrong thing say it the wrong way in other words none of us is perfect we've got to give people space to be wrong and still figure out a way to keep you Uh, we've got to be sure about the cancel culture in this movement because if we can keep people involved I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I don't want to be canceled because I didn't quite say it the right way. Uh, so these are just things that I want to work on moving forward. Give space to get the work done is one of those big things.
0: I loved it when she said history yeah. is stubborn. I mean that that's so true because as we talked about earlier, you know we're dismantling these Confederate monuments and and we're we're doing. I mean. Like she said, four hundred and one years and we're still wrestling with the same problems. So yeah, she's absolutely right. I mean, I think we're gonna make see some change, but it's gonna be slow.
2: Exactly. She said a lot of good stuff. And Joyce has been in the fight here locally for years. Um, she is, you know, one of my personal sheroes. <laughs> I have no, no issue with saying. Uh, and is actually one of the people I modeled when I went natural, as we talked about in another podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. I call it doing the Joyce when you don't transition, but you just cut all your hair off. So because <laughs> Joyce looks fierce. She looks wonderful in her haircut. And also, again, Senator Elliott is running for Congress. And if elected, she will be the first Black person from Arkansas to hold that position.
0: And Arkansas is the only former Confederate state that has not had a Black person represent that state in Congress.
2: I did not know that. Learned something new. Honestly, outrageous in 2020. Um, and the fact that really, honestly, we're talking about still having first um, in a country where people have been a part of its fabric for over 400 years is, is again, right. a, a little bit ridiculous, not even a little bit. It's a lot. So, but that's not the reason she should get the job. Joyce is experienced. She's intelligent. She has solid plans for all Arkansans and policies that we can all understand, get behind and believe in. So if you want to learn more about Joyce and her platform, visit www.joycelliott.com. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Black Belt Voices podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Katrina Dupins, with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC.
0: Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices and visit BlackBeltVoices.com.